It's February 2nd, 2023 in the Fred Bertelson Old Time Radio Room. Time for some old time radio. Brad Snyder is going to be playing two shows in about a half hour, one of which might be familiar to some of us when he was with us last night on Yesterday USA, depending on whether you were listening or not. Um, so that's that's cool. There are several of us here tonight. We'll talk about Same Time, Same Station first, and then on to other stuff. Um, we're, I don't know how long this is going to go. I think there were 46 or 47 shows that we found that have something to do with Disney. And so we're going to do a salute to Disney over the next few weeks. And it's very easy to remember the first two shows that we picked because they're both hour-long shows. The Magic Key from 1935. It's the first show of that series. And several characters from Disney are on that show, including Walt and Mickey Mouse and a lot of others. And then from 1936, they are guesting as... Um, well, they're guesting. They're not They're not a part of the show. It's the Plutocrat from the Lux Radio Theater, but they are guesting and they're being interviewed by Cecil B. DeMille. So that's what you're hearing on Same Time, Same Station beginning Sunday in most places. Uh, yesterday, USA, good stuff happening there. We've finally gotten some of our platform back. Radio uh, Yesterday, USA, Red and Blue and Stay Tuned America are back and have been. But we've just now added TuneIn and uh, Lady A. So you can hear uh, the shows on those particular platforms now. And there'll be others too. And we'll be getting some more stations on soon. Uh, we have to ask and then get uh, people to actually lick, click them in. So that'll be happening uh, with, with a little more regularity. So we'll be back to normal hopefully fairly soon, and Corey is working on the schedules so that you'll begin to hear the DJs again, hopefully sometime early next week. We'll see. Uh, and last night, Brad Snyder was on with us, and we had a great time, enjoyed it. And uh, tonight, Walden and Patricia. Tomorrow, John and I and Walden and Bob Lyons, all at 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 Pacific. And then Walden and Patricia on Sunday, and then... Uh, Sorry, Saturday. And then we're on with Walden on Sunday. And later, Michael Beal. Um, I'm going to ask Walden in just a second to fill in other stuff. But our uh, old-time radio marathon is slated for April 15th. And it is um, 12 hours. It'll be broadcast on Yesterday USA Blue. And we will also be, of course, in a Zoom room. And so we're beginning to put that together now and uh, more about that later on. But it's April 15th, Saturday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific time. Walden, do you want to talk about anything I missed in terms of Yesterday USA stuff? Well, sure. Well, we should probably mention the marathon. We do have confirmation uh, at, for two of our guests. On April the 15th, it's two Jack Benny grandchildren, uh, Bobby and Joanna, will be with us. So that will be at 1 o'clock. So uh, people ask. So we have got that arranged. Uh, back to yesterday, USA guests for the weekend. At tomorrow afternoon, uh, 2 o'clock, Johanna Sigmund. She has a brand new book about 
celebrities and pets. Sunday night, uh, Tom Brown from Radio Archives will be with us along with Doug. So we'll talk about the history of Radio Archives with, with Tom this Sunday. Next Wednesday, the 8th, Jim Clark will be with us, and he got a book, a biography out on Betty Lynn. Uh, then looking down the pipe, Jack Benny Convention is coming up pretty fast. Uh, Friday, seven, Friday, September 17th through Sunday, September 19th. And you can register at jackbenny.org. And we'll be streaming the we'll be streaming most of the convention on Yesterday USA Blue that weekend. So those are some of the things. Special guest at the end of the month is Mark Graham on Truth or Consequences. So back to you, Larry. Yeah, you do mean February, right? Correct. Excuse me. Hello. I just got my audio fixed. This is Marie. I have been in before, but it's been oh. a long time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay. I know I, who you are. But I wanted to but come I, in and harass my friend Brad. Welcome. You can you can harass Brad and we'll sit and listen and clap for you. Okay. You can do that. <laughs> Glad you're I here. Decided, I, I just thought I'd check in. I got my audio fixed. So very good. Good. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. You should know me, Larry. I float I around do. here and there. <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I hear something else, like somebody's unmuted, and I hear background noise. I don't That's know what not, that is. It's not me. Nope. Uh, radio stuff. I'm trying to think. There was something I wanted to mention today. And my, well, part of it was Yesterday USA. But it was something I was going to talk about today, and I am not remembering what that was. But that's okay. That's okay. We can talk about any number of topics concerning old-time radio. Um, oh, John just walked in. Wow, he got a, he got a ride home quick. Uh, and we have roast going, by the way. We have a roast in the Ooh. crock pot with potatoes and here. carrots. We do, too. We have a roast going here. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, it's smelling great. Wow. Anyway, I, I listened yesterday just just to see what was on yesterday USA Blue. And and I had forgotten that we had done this show. We did this show in 2016 and it was a 2015 and it was a salute to Stan Freeberg. And we played things like the Paola Roll Blues and we played Oregon, Oregon. And lots of other Freeberg stuff. And I, it's funny, I remembered vaguely that we had done it, but I could not have told you what we played. And it was almost like it was brand new. And that happens to me so often with old-time radio. I'll forget about a show or maybe it's something we heard 40 years ago. And I'm just wondering if it's me getting older. Don't answer that. Or if... If, if if all of you have had that issue as well, where I don't know what that is. That's getting to be distracting. I'm hearing some background noise somewhere. Um. So I mean, is that has that happened to you, where you completely forgot about a show and you heard it, and you know you heard it, but you'd forgotten all about it till you heard it again? 
Yes. Yes. Yeah? Yep. So I'm not the only one. Nope. No. Why not? Good. 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 Do you remember what the show was that you heard and forgotten about, had forgotten about? Well, I think there I think there were a couple of Fibber McGee and Molly's that, that it happened to me. Mm. And so do you when you hear those shows and you listen to them after God knows how many years, do you do you begin to listen and say, Wow, this is funny, this is really great? And then do you say to yourself midway through, Boy, this sounds familiar. Yep. I, I think what's gonna happen is and you're right. And it's only because you either A heard a similar plot somewhere or you heard that show X number of years ago. Forgot you heard it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I know Patricia okay, has an interesting theory. She does mm. not like to read a book a second time, but she'll love listening to the same radio show more than once. She doesn't mm. know why. Like a Fair McGee and Molly show, she's going to do over and over. She doesn't get tired of it versus she'll only read a book once. Hmm. Mm. Well, I know that this this happens to me in books, too. I'll grab a book and I'll put it in my stream or wherever. And I'll, I'll, I'll say, this sounds interesting. This really does. And about three chapters in, I'm going, wait a minute. I think I, 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 think I can tell you what's going to happen. And then I'll skip around when, I, when that happens. And I'll look at the end. And sure enough, it's, it's a book I've read maybe 10 years ago, but had forgotten about completely. So now what I try and do is I make a little note. A folder when I and I put a book the book in the folder so that I know at least that if it's in that folder I did read it before. So it's cut down a little bit on books that I didn't remember reading, but not entirely. Yeah, I don't well, reading a book twice. You know, I, oh, I don't either. I love, I, I love reading John Dunning's book, especially the original the original one. Uh, Larry yeah. Robinson did, did. I read that yeah. twice through. Ray, Hag Ray Hagen did the other one, and Ray Hagen was good, but but Bill, but uh, Larry Robinson was excellent. Yeah. Oh, he was fantastic. He was marvelous. Walden, by the I way, do you ever read it? Do you read anything? Do you read anything other than old radio? Have you ever read a, an espionage book or a western? Usually, hmm. I will. Really? I'm so happy into history. I know. Uh, yeah. That's that, that generally where I, spend, if what, when I do spend time. That's where I would go for. Mm -hmm. If you didn't read about old radio or history, what would you read? What kind of book? About what? Gosh. That's the bulk of my reading. I, don't, I have to give that some thought, Larry. <laughs> um, I, I, I probably would, I would probably would like to sit down and read an ill wolf stuff. Oh, those, I think, those are good. Yeah, I can. You know, I, I, I know. We know he heard, uh, you know, um, Rex Stout's daughter. Yeah. We, you know, yeah. had her, and I think I would like to spend the time reading the Neil Wolf book. So if I, I don't remember, I don't know who read the later ones, but you know who read the earlier Neil Wolf books on Talking Book? Oh, I bet Joni who? remembers. Alan Hewitt. Um, I was just gonna say that. I'm sorry, Alan Hewitt. Oh my God, he was so good. He was. He I had that condescending sound in his voice when he was near a wolf. He was marvelous. Now I have I enjoy reading the, the 
Just now making this show the whole time. I, I enjoy reading the Dashiell Hammett books. I mean, I thought to read the Thin, the thin Man and and Fade in a book form is mm-hmm. different than either the radio or the film is. So yeah, that's it's, true. It's, so it's an interesting angle. I don't know if I've ever read any of the Thin Man books. I never. I don't have. think. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Huh. Didn't know Interesting. That. In the same about about every other paragraph, that uh, Nora and Nick are always going to get having a drink. You know, I may have I may have read a couple of those long ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't remember who wrote them all. Was it written by the same author? Uh huh. The original one thirty four was yeah, Dash or Hammett did. Yeah. Huh. Well, I had an experience with a uh, a radio show. Um, a few years ago, I don't know what I was listening to, when all of a sudden, the Billy Burke show came on. And I remembered that show as clear as I... I mean, I, I just remembered... It because I was very impressed with it. I was five or six, and it was about wishing for rain or something like that. And I said, oh, my gosh, I remember sitting in my grandma's kitchen and listening to Billy Burke and laughing and enjoying and wondering what was going to happen. And here it was, like, a lot of years later, and it just... Brought back that whole memory of my childhood. Wow. Yeah, it is. It is. <coughs> it's funny. I like to read books. I read a lot of books. And they're not all, not all radio-related books. But many of them are. And we've got, over the years, we've collected so many of them. It's just fascinating to go through there and read, and they all keep me interested. They all keep me wanting to read more. Mm-hmm. One of the la- one of the ones I enjoyed a lot was the book that who wrote it on Bob and Ray. I've forgotten now who it was who wrote that book, but it, it was just fascinating to because they were such off the wall kind of characters. Was that something? Was that called Mr. Trace Keener than... Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, it might have been, yeah. I never got to read that. Where can I get it? I always wanted to. Um, I don't know. I'll have to look and see uh, where we got it from. Huh. Uh, It's funny, a lot of those books about entertainment in general, but radio, TV, whatever, Mm. were on Bard. You can get them on Bard. You can also get them on Bookshare. Now some of the books we got we got um, from the authors before we interviewed them, but I don't think Bob and Ray was one of those. I'll have to check. Sheldon Warner published. He was the one that really wanted to make sure you read his book before you sat down and interviewed. If I remember the yeah. story right, that yeah. I, I don't remember whether or not it ever got to. Well, this is before we were on the computer. We didn't have computers at the time, so we didn't have PDF copies. But I don't remember whether it was ever released on Bard or Bookshare or anything like that. 
But it was a neat book. Yeah, I got some of that read, and I don't remember now how. But yeah, he, we taught, we read a lot of the book, and then went over to see him, and we talked about passages of the book, and uh, he he wanted to be reminded of stuff. You know, we didn't just ask questions; we asked about passages from within the book, and then he, you know, he could say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that now." And he would talk about it, but he didn't go into a lot of depth. I'm, I'm not remembering now why, but I mean, oh, you know, he was good and he was fun to talk to. Yeah, but he yeah. didn't have the kind of recall that Frank Nelson had, or Marsha Hunt. He didn't have that kind of recall. Wasn't Frank Nelson been a great author for a book he would have written on radio? Oh, oh my gosh, his recall was just incredible. He remembered everything. Yeah. I'm thinking maybe that'll be my next. I don't know if I've done that. I have to go back and look. That'll be the next interview thing I do. It'll be at the it'll be at this birdback dinner with Frank Nelson and Viola Vaughn. He told some great stories. Norman Corwin's books. I mean, you knew him so well. Yeah. I I don't think I read them all, but I read several of them. And and they were in some instances pretty complex, and they were good reading. Uh, it, you know, I mean, he wrote a lot about. His books have probably been pretty heavy duty. I would think they are. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he even wrote some scholarly things that were textbooks. And I've got those somewhere, but they're not in any kind of audio media form. And those were a little tougher to read. So I can't remember how many books he wrote, but several. He wasn't... I've a copy of Norman's letters, and I don't think I've sat down and read those yet. So I imagine mm. those are interesting. Yeah. It's funny, you would think that somebody who was steeped in academia like he was, because he taught at UCLA, UCLA or USC? USC. USC. For years and years. Um, you would think that, you know, he would be a little more professorial. Professorial? What's the word? Professorial. Professorial. That, yes. Couldn't get the syllables to line up. Yeah, um, it's tough. But, but I mean, he was very down to earth. I mean, oftentimes yeah. after we got to know him, he would call and say, hey, what are you guys doing uh, on such and such a date? And I said, well, nothing. Don't think so. He said, well, look at your calendar and let's go to dinner. How cool was that for probably, I don't know, five or six times. And then the last few times uh, we get, we get uh, Randy Scretvet and Jordan Young and, and a few others. And we would all go. And have a great time. We'd go to L.A. or where he was down in L.A. near Hollywood where he lived. And he was just so much fun. He was very, very down to earth. He just enjoyed being with people. I understand his first day class every year he hated because the, uh, the dean said, I want the students to know who you are. So uh, Norman would not show up for the first half of, and they would show a documentary of Norman's life to the students. And then, then he would start teaching the second, the second 
half of the first class uh, that day, but he just didn't want to be around. No. He didn't mind talking about radio and radio history and CBS, but he did not like to talk about himself and he did not like to put it, he didn't want to put himself over. Right. He said there was much more important things in life than that. I guess so, the yeah. the school felt it was important that the students should know who he was, who, mm-hmm. who he is. That way yeah. they wanted to get the full impact of what they were learning. And that and, and people who took his class would come back and see him years later. He had that kind of effect on people. And he would remember them, you know, by name, which was really, really cool. How old was he when he passed? 101. Good for him. His dad was 110 when he died. His brother was 107. Yeah, 107. Oh, my goodness. We have a picture. We have a newspaper somewhere here and it's a picture taken in the Los Angeles Times and it's a picture of Norman and his father and his brother all together after a birthday when Norman Norman was 85 he went to dinner with Frank and Bobby Brzee and said oh I gotta go call dad and he left the table (laughs) can can you imagine wait wait wait, there's more to the story just a second hang on Marsha (laughs) <laughs> and so Norman came back, and and Frank said, "Did you say you could call your dad?" I said, "Yes, I call dad every every day at this time." And you know, Norman was eighty five, and his dad yeah. was you know over a hundred and five at the time, and that's where the typical routine that Norman would have to call his dad every day at a certain time. It just blew me the way blew me away the first time I heard that to have Norman talk about calling his dad, and here he is, eighty five years old. Just amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. It is. Go. Yeah, were we going to say, Marsha? I just said that's amazing. Ah, yeah. Is Marilyn in the room? Yes, yes. I am. Marilyn, I got the card. Hey, Thank you so much. So my patchwork job worked. I got a card from you too, and so did John. And I forgot to mention it to you all these these weeks later. Thank you. I got mine yesterday. She sent me a, I think it was a birthday card in early January. So yours is yours is easy because it's New Year's birthday and Christmas in one. That's right. She can send three different cards in this, in one card and talk yeah. about three different things. Yeah, That's that was so cool. Sweet, Marilyn, you do that. That's why I always thought it was fun, you know, to see Jack Smith. He got married on his 17th birthday. His wife's birthday was the same day as his, and the wedding anniversary was the same day. So he not he never got in trouble remembering when his wife's birthday and her anniversary was always the same day. That works. Yep. Getting married at 17. A guy. Yeah. Yep. yep. I've been married for over 70 years. But he, that, that made it simple for him. He, could, he, he always knew his anniversary and his wife's birthday was his birthday. So <laughs> he in trouble. So my, my question, and I never asked him this, was, you know, yeah. so when did you meet your wife and did you prolong the wedding <laughs> until it aligned with all the other stuff? I never asked him that. I didn't think about it. <laughs> 
Can you imagine? Well, we've known each other for over 11 months, but I don't know why he doesn't want to get married. (laughs) (laughs) And he was a neat guy. Jack Smith was a nice, nice man. And I don't know what it is. I mean, radio was a very, there was a lot of, um, it it was very, not difficult, but, but there were so many things going on that you would think that that people would not would, would you know not live long lives because of the all the, the the stuff going on in terms of you know traveling and a lot a lot of eating a lot of drinking going on back then a lot of smoking but but most of these people many that we knew some that we didn't know lived into their 80s and 90s but what to me also, radio was wonderful for an actor because it was the first time they got to be in one place and to buy yeah. a house and be part mm-hmm. of the community. They didn't always have to be on the road all the time. And right. He thought that was, the, that was the first time radio gave the opportunity for the actor to have work. And he was right. And I love Smith because he had, he always had a smile in his voice and they called him Smiling Jack Smiling Smith. Jack Smith. It was yeah. a, a whispering Jack Smith, too, who was really super. I loved whispering Jack Smith. He was around in the 20s. Yeah, that's so right. There were two. Yeah, you, I've forgotten about that. Oh, yeah. We uh, will be moving over to Brad Snyder soon, in another probably a couple minutes or so. And... Um, are you doing this live, Brad, or is it pre-recorded? It's recorded. Oh, okay. That'd be a little scary if it was live. So I knew it was 59 minutes even. Oh, that's right. No, well, no, you got to play the show. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do with the other one minute, Brad? Give it back. Oh, I don't know. I'll think of something. You got some jokes you can tell, sir? Yeah, I could uh, tap dance or something. Good, good. Just ad lib it, see what happens. Yeah. Tap dancing on the radio. Yeah. <clears throat> we did last night. Why not? Ad libbed. Yeah, pretty much. We he danced around a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I think we finished about 11 30, 12 o'clock here uh-huh. on the Pacific Coast. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. It was a little after uh a little, it was after one thirty here. I was well, you you guys are you know three hours behind us here on the east, or, you know in the east, Midwest, <clears> and it's just too too late. I I heard John getting ready to go to work today, and I woke up at five fifteen. I was hoping to sleep much later than that, but it didn't happen. So it was a little too noisy for you. Oh, it doesn't take much noise to wake me up. Oh. So, well, considering how many early morning meetings you have with ACB, it's probably still a good thing you still have a morning wake up routine. Yeah, I didn't have one this morning, but I did Wednesday. Yeah. And more tomorrow. And by the way, now we're, I think we're now up to uh, 28 after. So if you want to start getting ready, Brad. Sure. We'll do it. We'll go from there. We're fine. And we'll mute everybody and I'll yep. get it going. Okay. 
everybody. Today is February 2nd, 2023, and welcome to Radio Out of the Past in the Fred Bertelson Old-Time Radio Room. My name is Brad Snyder, and while there may not be many old-time radio programs with a Groundhog Day theme, I thought it might be fun to listen to a couple of shows that aired on this date. Later on, we'll listen to an episode of Dragnet. But first, let's get started with an episode of one of my favorite old-time radio police procedurals, 21st Precinct. This episode is titled The Daughter and aired on February 2nd, 1955. Yeah. How'd they break in? Yeah. Yeah. What's missing? Oh, yeah? What's the name of the owner there? You are in the muster room at the 21st Precinct, the nerve center. A call is coming through. You will follow the action taken pursuant to that call from this minute until the final report is written in the 124 room at the 21st Precinct. Okay. I'll notify the detectives and let you know. Yeah. All right. 21st Precinct. It's just lines on a map of the city of New York. Most of the 173,000 people who went into the nine-tenths of a square mile between Fifth Avenue and the East River wouldn't know if you asked them that they lived or worked in the 21st. Whether they know it or not, the security of their homes, their persons, and their property is the job of the men of the 21st Precinct. The 21st, 160 patrolmen, 11 sergeants, and 4 lieutenants, of whom I'm the boss. My name is Kennelly, Frank Kennelly. I'm captain in command of the 21st. I was working my night tour, 4 p.m. to 8 a.m. It had been a comparatively quiet night, but at 10.30 p.m., the police commissioner and the chief inspector paid a surprise visit to the precinct. I conducted them through the station house and then accompanied them on a tour of the precinct, returning in time to turn out the platoon for the late tour at midnight. After the turnout, the brass signed the blotter and left. I went into my office to read and sign reports and communications prepared by Patrolman Fallon, the 124 man on the job during the 4 to 12 tour. At 12.40 a.m., Detectives Frank Cassidy and Chris Vitale of the 21st Squad were driving south on 2nd Avenue en route back to the station house following their investigation of a stabbing in a bar and grill on 96th Street. Well, listen, what can you do? I asked if she wanted to go. She said it was too much trouble to get a babysitter, come all the way into New York or something like that. And she didn't have a good time at last year's. Well, this one was better. At least the food was good. Yeah, so I Mm. Look, when a light changes, what do you say we go over to that luncheon at see if that Harry showed up yet? We ought to talk to him and find out if he ran into his friend today. Well, he said he'd call me, Deep. I don't know. I don't like the looks of that guy. I don't think he's trying to help us. All right. Frank. Yeah. Take a look across there in the delicatessen. Is the door open? I don't see it. Yeah, you see? Yeah. Pull over there. Mm-hmm. All right, shoot this open. Come on. Mm-hmm. With your eyes and my brain, we could make a million dollars. I'll hold it at the window, then. Yeah. 
It's awful dark in there. Let's take a look at the door. Mm. That's been Jimmy. Mm. I say this door now. Oh, wait a minute. Reach in and see if there's a light switch. Yeah. No, no, nothing. The switch box must be in the back. All right, look, you go around behind the counter. I'll go in front. Okay? Yeah. Watch it. On the floor, you know. Yeah. Anything? Nope. Okay. Maybe it's going back. Yeah, maybe. All right, I'll kick open the swinging door. Just throw your light in there. All right? Yeah, go ahead. Come on. Mm. Hello? Nothing. Anything's working here, all right? Look at that cabinet. Yeah. Let's see if we can find a switch box. <laughs> Nothing on this floor. I'm going to watch those faces. Hold it. Front. How about I hit somebody out front? Yeah. Get him up back there. Watch it. Hold it. The cop. Hmm? Who is it? Who is it back there? The detective. Come out here. Let me see it. What's a hand? A hand. The Charlie and Cassidy. All right. Come on back here. You know where the lights are? There's a switch box over here. Oh, yeah. Well, where are those million-dollar eyes, dude? Oh, that's better. Sam Doyle's on the post. I got this one through a Jimmy back with your flashlight. Well, I'm glad you think first and shoot later. You hear the place you're going over, huh? Yeah, it sure does. I guess I better ring in. I'm going out front. Uh, what's the name of the owner? Hewitt. Victor Hewitt. You better tell the lieutenant to have him notified. He only lives two buildings down. And we'll go wake him up. You stay here, huh? Okay. Come on. Yeah. You did a good job in the front door. Yeah. yeah we'll be back in a minute, then. Okay. Yeah. Well, it doesn't look like they got too much out of there, huh? No. Got a little mess in the back. It broke open the cabinet. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good, I guess. Yeah. Go ahead. I'll check the mailbox. Yeah. Here it is. Pick the healer. Second front. How's the inside door, huh? Mm. Yeah. Uh, hit the bell. Okay. See that showcase full of sausages there? Yeah. You know what that is? Hmm. That's Polish sausage. That's good stuff, real hot. Ever try mm, No, I don't think so. Hit the bell again, will you? Yeah. Krakow, I think they call it. Krakow? That's the name of a city over there. Yeah, I know. Which came first? The sausage or the city? These guys are sound sleeping, you know. Maybe his bell doesn't work. Maybe. How do you like this thing? Pull out the tube. Oh, oh yeah. Mr. Halas? We detectives, Mr. Halas. Your store's been broken into. You had burglars. Push the button, open the door, huh? Open the door. We'll come up and tell you about it. 
How do you serve that coffee? Like an hors d'oeuvre? Yeah, it's good, that one. No, I got it. Second floor front? Yeah. You have a squeal on this guy before? Another burglar? No. He just struck up about three years ago. Oh, yeah, those two guys from Jersey that did about $20 a session. Yeah, that's right. Here, here in the front. Okay. Yeah, he caught him in the act on the 17th, remember? Two men planted in the back when he came in. Yeah. Mr. Come in. Come on in. I'm putting on my pants. Did you get them? What did they take? Well, we don't know. You'll have to tell us that. Oh, it's locked? Well, they jimmied it. Oh. Excuse me. Get the dress, yeah. That's all right. Did they do much damage? No, not too bad. What time did you close up, Mr. Well, about 10.30. What, what time is it now? I was asleep. Quarter to one. You know, I don't like this. I mean, it says it's all right. Without time. Better put a shirt on. Cold. Well, I, I got that over here on the left. Okay. Uh, did that get you to get back in here? Yeah, I got him. Mm-hmm. Who was it? Do you know who it was? No, not yet. Did you notice any strangers come in the store tonight? It's always strange that not everybody's a regular. I mean, anybody suspicious. That looked around a lot. No, not that I know. Well, go ahead. I got the other one. Well, now, what, what do you mean, Jimmy? You broke the front door? Yeah, yeah, that's right. They shoved the bar in between the lock and the door frame, looks like. Mm, some people, what some people won't do. Yeah, you're telling me. Cross the policeman, huh? Yeah, well, they put it out on the radio. Oh. That's me. Oh, hello, Captain. What we got? Burglary thing. Captain? Oh. Oh, see it? You were driving by and found the door, Jimmy. New door, a new friend, new door. No, it can be fixed. They don't make a that way anymore. It's one I had. that may have been in the store before he closed or during the day. 
At ten minutes after one, other detectives from the police laboratory arrived to make an examination of the premises for latent fingerprints which might have been left by the burglar or burglars. Contrary to the general opinion, fingerprints left at the scene of a crime are seldom in themselves responsible for the apprehension of a criminal. If an arrest is eventually made through other means of investigation, however, fingerprints left at the scene are conclusive and usually the best evidence of the defendant's presence at the scene. In this instance, the experts were able to obtain no readable prints other than those of the proprietor of the store. The investigation by the detectives continued. I went back to the car, operated by patrolman Farrell, and resumed patrol of the precinct until 2.30 a.m. when I returned to the station house where I completed some more paperwork. At 3.15 a.m., I lay down on the couch in my office after leaving instructions with Sergeant Waters, who was now on telephone switchboard duty, to waken me at 7. At 6.30, the muster room was still, except for the occasional call over the radio monitor and the buzz of the switchboard as the men on post rang in. First precinct, Sergeant Waters. Yes, he did. Well, there's nobody home there. I had the man on post go by three times. Okay, yeah. TV again, Lieutenant. They wanted to know if we made the notification to the 112th about the man who died in Queens General. I told him we're still trying. Okay. Oh, how about some hot coffee, Lieutenant? No, I just can't. Supposed to snow. I don't see any sign of it. Well, I can do without it. Don't make me. Money first, freezing, charging waters. All right, 14. Oh, listen. If you see that department of sanitation truck, tell them to handle those garbage cans a little lighter, will you? We had two more complaints from residents on that block yesterday morning. Okay, yeah. I told Meister about the DS stuff, Lieutenant. Okay. Oh, hello, Mr. Hillis. Sergeant. Good morning. Yeah, well, kind of ready for us having such a big night. Yeah, I know. I got to open the store. Oh, were you able to get that door to stay closed all right? Yeah, the handyman for my building fixed it. Good. Is uh, Captain Canelli still here? I'd like to talk to him. Well, I'll tell you, Mr. Hillis. He's here, but he's sleeping. You see, he's supposed to be off at 8 o'clock, but he's got to go down to the federal grand jury and testify about some counterfeit case he made an arrest in. Oh, sorry. Mm, what is it? About the burglary? Well, in a way, yes. Uh, I wanted to talk to the detectives that are working on it. They can tell you anything you want to know. Now, this is personalized. I know the captain a long time. I'd like to ask him some advice. What to do? Is all right for me to wait? Maybe he wakes up? Well, he's telling me to wake him up at 7. If that just about gives him long enough to look over the reports and turn out the platoon. Will he come back later today? No, when he leaves here a little after 8, he's not too back on a job until tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to take a chance and wait around, maybe a a few minutes. All right, all right, I'll take the chance. Well, it's up to you. I'll wait for a while. Well, Sergeant, what's doing? Oh, good morning, Lieutenant. No, no, probably Yeah, gonna go to the lineup today and a lot of things to clean up first. Kind of a night that we have. Well, it was a cutting in a bar and grill on 96th Street. Dad? No, he was treated that they didn't come home. Oh, well. Uh, and Mr. Hillis here had his store pleasure on. Oh, yeah. 
Mr. Hilly? Lieutenant King, commander of the 21st Detective Squad. How did you? Did Cassidy talk to you, Mr. Hilly? Oh, yeah. Uh, Cassidy and the Kelly rolled down in the tunnel. Where are they up there? No, sir. I see them go out of here about 4.30. Okay. Glad to have met you, Mr. Hilly. Yeah, I do. See you, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, I'll tell you, Mr. Willis, the captain won't be up for a while yet. Why don't you go out and get yourself a cup of coffee and come back a little after seven? All right, I'll have to. Excuse me. Yes, sir. Any place facing Chaz and Waters? No, sir, it's all quiet. All right, yes, sir. Oh, Captain, uh, Mr. Willis is out here at the desk. He'd like to talk to you. All right, yes, sir. He woke up, Mr. Willis, of course, him. Yeah, he said he'd go in right through that door over there. Oh, thank you. I'm much obliged. Oh, it's all right. Hello, Dad. Dad's awake. Okay. Come on. Wow. Come in, Mr. Hiller. I didn't want to take up your time, Captain. Ah, no, that's all right. You don't mind if I stay, but right? you've got a busy morning. No, oh, that's all right. What can I do for you, Mr. Hillis? Well, it's about the robbery, my store. Oh, well, the detectives are handling the case. Don't want to talk to them. Yeah, I know. I talked to them all night, practically. Hardly got any sleep. Oh, too bad. Well, that's all right. I had to stay at the store anyway until the handyman fixed the door so it could be locked up. Well, they know more about the case than anyone. Yeah. Except me. They know more about it than anyone except me. You mean there's something you didn't tell them? There's something, yeah. Excuse me. Oh, yes, sir. What's that? Captain, I know she's not a bad girl. Some of it's my fault. I, I know that. Who's that? My daughter. My daughter, Alma. You think uh, she broke into the store? I, I don't know. All I know is she, she's the only one who knows how to keep the money boxed in the cabinet there. Nothing, nobody else knows. Did you talk to her about no, it? Oh, I didn't see her. I didn't see her for a week. Yeah. She went away from home last week. How old is she? Fifteen. She'd be sixteen. Did you report her missing? Well, what's the use of that? I, I couldn't make her come back. Where is she? Do you know? No, I... Look, Captain, I try my best, but what can I do? I, I try to raise it right. But I can't spend 14 hours a day in the store to make a living and raise it right, too. Well, what about her mother? I don't know. Same thing. She ran away, too. She ran away, left me with all the responsibility. When was this? Six years ago. Have you heard from her? My wife? No. You don't know where she is? How could I know? Have you heard from Emma? Not a word. You know why she left? She left because I told her she was too young to hang around with those boys. That those wild boys in the neighborhood there. I told her I wouldn't stand for it. So she said I had nothing to do with it. She, she would do what she wants. So when I got home from the store, the clothes were gone and suitcase. Well, you should have come in and reported her nothing. No, I wouldn't do no good. Well, you should have let us be the judge of that. We've got a juvenile aid bureau. It's pretty good at getting these things said now. No, it's too late. Too late to get in and straighten out. Thief, i got to raise a thief. It was steal from her own father. If she asked me, I'd have given her the money. Said she'd got to steal it. Well, you don't know that for sure. I know it. I know it right away. What can I do to her? Is it stealing from her father? Is that stealing from a stranger? 
Bad enough. What do you want me to do about it, Mr. Hill? I want you to tell me what to do about it. Well, I'd suggest that you tell the detectives what you told me. If I do, what's going to happen to her? Couldn't be any worse than what happens to her if you don't. No. Yeah, it couldn't be any worse. Who said the ring? It was uh, Vitaly and Cassidy, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. Vitaly mm. uh, and Cassidy, yeah. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Warden. Uh, Sergeant, uh, Vitaly and Cassidy upstairs. No, sir. They went out of here around 4.30, and I didn't see him come back. Well, who's up there? Then there's Captain, you know, Lieutenant King just came in a little while ago. Oh. All right. Yes, sir. Come on, Mr. Healer. Let's go upstairs. All right. You want? That way. I'll be up on the detectives. Right, right, my best. This way. Go ahead. You're without a mother. Kind of hard to do something. You've got to admit it's very hard. I just tried. In that. Is uh, Lieutenant King in his office? Yes, it's kind of a school. Either a bar closed, I don't know. Yes. Captain Canelli. Come on, Captain. Good morning, Captain. Hi, Matt. Matt, this is Mr. Healy. His stall was burglarized during the night. Yeah, I know. Just leaving the 61 on it. $450, Mr. Healy? Yeah, about. Do you think he knows who did it? Who is that, Mr. Healy? My daughter. My daughter, Elma. You mean she's Jimmy's daughter? One of her boyfriends, maybe. Is... I don't know. She ran away from home last week, man. He doesn't know where she is. How old is she? Going on 16. Excuse me. Yes, sir. And uh, you know where Beast and Cassidy went? Uh, no, sir. All they told me is they were going out on Okay. Just a second, Lieutenant. Somebody's coming up. No. Tell him to come in here. One of the uh, detectives just came in. How sure are you with your daughter, Mr. Hewitt? She knew where the cat was. She was the only one. Come in. One second, Lieutenant. Where have you been since 4.30? I'm investigating this program. Oh. Mr. Hewitt just called Captain Canelli. He knows who did it. So do I, Lieutenant. I've got her out sitting on a bench. Uh, Alma? Yeah, that's right, Mr. Hill. She's sorry. The handyman told Cassidy and me all about her and the boy she hung out with the neighborhood. I want to talk to her. Wait a second, Mr. Hewitt. Where'd you find her, Be? She's sleeping in a club room since she's staying there a whole week. She gave us the name of the boy she talked into breaking open his door. Cassidy went over to his house to get him. I got the tin box and all the money, Mr. Hill. Well, look, I don't want to care about the money. I want to talk to Alma. Right now, I want to talk to her. All right, take it easy, Mr. Hewitt. Bring her in, Dave. Elma? My own flesh and blood. Did you steal from me? Elma? It's all there. You don't have to worry. All the money. Where's the door, Dave? I didn't worry about the money. It's only about you. Only about me. Come here, sit down, Elma. That's nice to have you worry about. Look, don't get smart, Elma. Don't get smart, dear. All right, Mr. Hewitt. Well, she shouldn't get smart. Sure, you want me dumb. 
I'll do one now, my God. Don't compare yourself to her. There's no pleasure anyway with us. Compare him. Why did you break into the store, Alma? To get the money to go to Florida. Yeah, with this boy. She's going to Florida with this boy. Yeah, if you want this thing, yeah. And then to go to Florida, you had to steal from me? From your own father? You kept my told you I tried to raise her right. Raise me? Raise me from what? All right, Alma. I like the way you say raise me. You know, gave me something that we didn't raise me. I raised myself. Okay. Why could I raise you right? That was your mother's job. And where was she? She didn't have any sense. She got out. She had enough. She got out. But I wanted to be too. I wanted to get out. No, Elma. And now I'm trying to get out. I went to Florida. I'd get out. If I go to Florida, I'd get out. Maybe it happened. It's okay with me. I don't care. But none of this would have happened if you'd done like I told you. You just stayed home and hope those boys alone. Well, was at home. Not you. You were always in the store. All right. Mama had enough, I had enough. Okay. Maybe now you can take a hint. Please take her outside, will I still got something to say. You can say it later. Come on, Alma. I want to say it now. You have to talk to your father. Let's go. Oh, that's awful. All right, I got it. You see, you see what I've been up against? Yeah. Let's see. I tried. You know I tried, but there was nothing I could do. Just too much of a mother, and you, you, can, you can see that, can't you? Okay, well... Yeah. She's 15 years old. Well, she's been 16. Do you think it was right to let her be missing from the house for a week and not report it to the police? What could you have done? Nothing. We could have tried. It's more than you did. Well, maybe I was wrong about that. You were wrong about a lot of things. But does that make her right? Does that give her permission to break into my store? She and her rowdy, my own daughter? No. I don't know. I'm, I'm so mixed up. I know she's my kid. I love her. You want me to take her back in the house? I'll take her back in the house and try again. I'm willing to do that. Is that what you want? It's not what we want, Mr. Healy. All right, then it's what I want. I, I want to try again. I want to get her back in the house. I want to try again. It's not what you want, either. It's going to be up to the children's court. Children's court? What does the children's court know about it? It's my daughter. All I need is time with her. Mr. Hillis, you had 15 years. Now it's time for someone else. Twenty-first precinct, Sergeant Waters. Yeah, all right. Oh, I got an alarm for you. Okay. A 1952 Chevrolet hardtop, painted two-tone green. Pennsylvania registration unknown. Unknown. Yeah, that's right, Levine. You keep your eyes open for it. Yeah. All right, let me know if you see a park in the post. And so it goes. Around the clock, through the week, every day, every year. A police precinct in the city of New York is a flesh and blood merry-go-round. Anyone can catch the brass ring, or the brass ring can catch anyone. 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way the police work in the world's largest city, is presented with the official cooperation of the Patrolman's Benevolent Association, an organization of more than 20,000 members of the Police Department, City of New York. Everett Sloan in the role of Captain Canelli, Ken Lynch as Lieutenant King, Harold Stone as Sergeant Waters. 
Featured in tonight's cast were John Larkin, John Sylvester, Bill Lipton, Bill Smith, and Lynn Tapter. Written and directed by Stanley Nitz. Hot Hannah Stevens. From February 2nd, 1955, that was 21st Precinct and the episode titled The Daughter. And now for my second offering of the evening, let's listen to an episode of Dragnet. This episode tells the sobering story of the murder of two young girls and exemplifies how, even in its first season on the air, the writers and producers of Dragnet did not shy away from telling stories with unpleasant content. This episode is titled Claude Jimerson, Child Killer, and aired on February 2nd, 1950. Ladies and gentlemen, this program is for you, not your children. The subject is of vital importance to you as parents. This is the story of a vicious man. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. Two small girls are reported missing. Somewhere between their homes and a neighborhood grocery store, they dropped from sight. Your job, find them. If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Fatima is the long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos, superbly blended to make Fatima extra mild. And that's why Fatima has a much different much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. So, if you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, October 27th. It was cloudy in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. We were on the way out from Central Division. It was 16 minutes past 8 p.m. when we got to South Peoria Street. Number 267. Sure gloomy, uh... Yeah, it's sultry. Looks like we're in for some rain. Yes, sir? Police officers. Is Lieutenant Barker here? Yes, you want to come in? Thank you. This is Sergeant Romero. I'm Sergeant Friday, Central Homicide. How are you? My name's Claude Jimerson. Uh, Lieutenant Barker's in here uh, on the phone. Hi, Captain. Yeah. Alex and Romero. Friday. How's it going, Lieutenant? Not good. You met Mr. Jimerson? Oh, sure. Sit down, gentlemen. Would you like some coffee? I can have the no, wife make thanks. some. No, thank we you. We didn't want to bother the girl's parents any more than we had to. Jimerson here is one of the neighbors. He's been nice enough to let us use his phone. The kids disappeared about four this afternoon, is that right? At 3.45. Got out a local broadcast on him. Here's a missing report. Thank you, Lieutenant. 
Thelma Griswold, age 11. Barbara Sperry, seven-year-old. You talked to both families. Yeah. About 3.30 this afternoon, Mrs. Griswold sent her daughter to the grocery store down on Sycamore Avenue. It's about 10 blocks from their home. The um, Sperry girl, a friend of hers, she went with her. Anybody at the store remember seeing them? According to the grocery clerk, they were there about 3.45. Mother gave the kids a note. They bought a loaf of white bread, a half pound of bacon, a dozen oranges. Yeah. That's right, Sergeant. I hope nothing's happened to the kids. We've been neighbors to the Griswolds for years. Sperry's too. Did you notice if the little girls were going in the direction of their home? Yes, they were. The last time I saw them, they were about a block away, heading straight for home. Little Sperry girl had her dog with her. Champ, I think they call him. He's a collie. And he's missing, too. That's right, Joe. Not a trace of the kids or the dog. Juvenile officers from 77th Street have been checking the neighborhood for the past three hours. And are the girls in the habit of wandering off like this? Parents say no. It's the first time. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks very much, Mr. Jimerson. Well, not at all, Sergeant. Sure you won't have a cup of coffee? No, no, thanks. We don't like to bother you, but we may have to check back with you later tonight. Routine questions. If I can help out in any way to find those girls, let me know. Yeah, we'll let you know, Jimerson. Thanks again. Nice fellow. Yeah, most of the neighbors we've talked to have been the same. Anxious to help... Some of them are out with our juvenile officers now trying to dig up a lead on the kids. You check the movie theater and the playgrounds in the neighborhood. Everything, Joe. Those are some of your men from juvenile, Lieutenant? Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, Schwartz and Preston. Lieutenant? Yeah, Preston, what you got? Found the kid's dog, the collie. Where? Just above Sanchez Drive, up in the hills. Hope it's no indication. How do you mean? Dog's dead. Collie dog was taken to a veterinarian on Jefferson Boulevard to be examined for cause of death. We put in a call to the office and a special detail of men was assigned to aid in searching the area where the dog was discovered. We got out an all-points bulletin. The fathers of the missing girls and a dozen neighbors joined in the search. With the aid of flashlights, we started from the end of Sanchez Drive and as best we could, we covered the ground for almost a full mile back into the Sunset Hills. 10.55 p.m. started to thunder. The search went on. The hilly terrain and thick patches of scrub oak didn't make the job any easier. 11.15 p.m. started to rain. Watch your step, Joe. The rocks are slippery. Yeah. I can't figure it. Not a sign. What do you think? I don't know. Wait a minute. Flash your light over here. No, here. See something? I thought I did. Yeah. Scrap of brown paper. Who's this coming? Sergeant. Is that you? Oh, Jimerson? Yeah, what's that you got? I found it, right down there, just off the path. Paper sack. Look. Uh, loaf of bread, a few oranges, package of bacon. Where'd you find it? Right down there. Mr. Holmquest and me, we were heading back for the cars when I saw this bag lying to one side of the bush. We'll take it, Jimerson. Thanks. Let's go, man. That means that Barbara and Thelma were up here today. You haven't mentioned that to either one of the girls' fathers. No, I haven't. Good. They're having a hard enough time as it is. Friday, Ben, see him for a minute? Yeah. Excuse us, Mr. Jimerson. Certainly. Yeah? Schwartz and I checked with the vet who examined the dog. What did he say? Says the dog was beaten to death. We made another attempt to continue the search of the Sunset Hills area for the two missing girls, but the heavy rain and the darkness made the job impossible. The rain had also destroyed the physical evidence at the spot where we had found the grocery bag. We went back to Jimerson's house and called the office again. Another detail of men was assigned to be on hand to help in the search when it resumed at daylight. Chief of Detectives Thad Brown and Captain Harry Elliott of Homicide were notified of late developments. At 25 minutes past midnight, 
We started to retrace the steps of the two missing girls from the time they left their homes at 3.30 the afternoon before. We covered every foot of ground along the route which the girls reportedly took on their way to the grocery store. We got the grocery clerk out of bed and interviewed him again. We talked with two elderly ladies in the neighborhood who said that they had seen the missing children between 3 and 4 p.m. the previous afternoon. They could add nothing to what Jimerson had already told us. 3.30 a.m. was still raining hard. We drove back to South Peoria Street and sat in the car. The lights were still burning in the homes of the missing youngsters, the Griswolds and the Sperrys. Jimerson asked us in for coffee again. This time we accepted. We went in and sat around the kitchen table. Glenn Chandler and Stendhal from Homicide, Lieutenant Barker, Ben and myself. Jimerson's wife made the coffee. There wasn't much talking. You want more coffee? Hmm? Oh, oh yeah. Well, thank you, Miss Jimerson. That. Thank you. You want some more? No, thanks. It's fine. You want some more coffee? You got enough, huh? Sure, Lieutenant. Plenty. Go ahead. Thanks. Fill the sugar bowl, will you, Amy? Empty. There isn't any more. You never do things right. I told you to get some at the store today. You told me? Yeah, that's all right, Jimerson. Never use it anyway. Thanks. Never do anything right. All right, Amy. Go to bed. She's a little upset. Not feeling too well. Well, I guess we'd better be going, Jimerson. Thanks. No, that's all right, Sergeant. She didn't mean you. It's this whole thing, I guess. Got everybody on edge. There's still a chance they may be all right. How do we explain the bag of groceries we found back in the hills? And the dog. Anybody's hurt those kids, we'll take care of him right here in this neighborhood. He'll get what's coming to him. Somebody at your back door. Oh, yes, I'll get. Sergeant Friday here? Yes, he's here. Come on in. Uh, Sergeant. Hi, Tom. Hi. What do you got? Mr. Griswold, Joe. Says he'd like to have you come over and talk to him. Figures he'll make his wife feel better, all broken up. Sure. Come on, Ben. We'll be over at the Griswolds, Lieutenant. All right. Thank you for the coffee, Jameson. Not at all. If you get a chance, tell Griswold how sorry everybody is. We'll help all we can. Sure. Bad night. Yeah. Did you check by the Sperry's house, Tom? Mm-hmm. Mother's trying to get a little sleep. Father's still sitting up. Mm, there he is, by the window. Yeah. Uh, this is the Griswold home. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. They're going to ask questions. What are we going to tell them? I don't know. They could be all right. Kids do funny things sometimes. Maybe. But they don't murder their pet dog. Like a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer, the police officer comes to realize that there's only so much that can be learned from his books. Time and experience make up the rest. The police manual contains no stock answers for the grieving wife who has just lost a husband in an auto accident. No firm but polite reply to the belligerent motorist handed a traffic tag. No words of reassurance for distraught parents of missing girls, ages 11 and 7. Whether it's trapping criminals or comforting parents, you find the right answer the hard way. There isn't any other way. We sat and talked with the Griswolds for a full hour. We didn't tell them about the dog or the bag of groceries. Until the fate of the two little girls was definitely decided, we figured giving them the information would serve no purpose except to add to their worries. Five minutes past 5 a.m., 
almost a full hour until daylight. It was still raining. George, maybe the officers would like some breakfast before they leave. No, thank you kindly, Miss Griswold. We had some sandwiches about an hour ago. Sure I can't fix you something? It's no trouble. No, sir, thanks anyway. Thanks. Terrible night. Rain. Now, now Helen, just... Just a little while longer. We'll, we'll find the girls. It'll be daylight soon. Uh, Miss Griswold, some of your neighbors tell us that there were two strangers here in the neighborhood this afternoon. Yes, but that was earlier. Mrs. Nelson next door and I were talking about it. One was a gardener looking for work. The other one was selling books. What time were they around, ma'am? Book sales went here about noon. The gardener, about two o'clock. Mm-hmm. How is your daughter about strangers? Does she make friends easily? No, no, not at all. Thelma's very careful about that. She'd never go with a stranger, I'm sure. Why do you ask that question, Sergeant? Have you found out something? No, sir. No, we haven't. It's just a routine check, that's all. Can't understand it. And girls. Out in all this rain, something must have happened. I know. Now, Helen, you've been doing fine. Don't let down now. Joe. Hmm? Chief Brown's car just pulled up outside. Thanks, sir. Ben? Yeah. Thank you very much, Mr. Griswold, Ms. Griswold. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I, here, let, let me show you the door. We'll meet at the end of Sanchez Drive, Mr. Griswold, about 6 a.m. Should be light enough by then. Oh, all right. Oh, uh, Sergeant, there is a chance, isn't there? The girls are all right. There's a good chance. You try not to worry. Come on, Ben. Frankly. Mm. Tom, you want to check with Barker again and see if any of his men have a line on the two men here in the neighborhood yet? Right. If you want us, we'll be in Thad Brown's car. All right, Sergeant. What time you got, Joe? Uh, 20 to 6. It's getting light now. Yeah. Let's get out of this rain. Gentlemen, you look a little wet. I could stand a dry pair of shoes. Still no trace of the kids? You heard about the dog and the bag of groceries. Yeah. Nothing else sensitive? No. It'll be light in a couple of minutes, and we can start searching the hills again. I ordered up another detail of men to help. They're parked up on Sanchez Drive. Captain Elliott's with them. Good. We can use all the help we can get. That's rough terrain. There's a lot of ground to cover up there. Yes, you talk to everybody in the neighborhood. Yeah, parents, too. They help you much? Well, they told us there were two strangers in the neighborhood before the girls disappeared. We're having them checked out. Yeah. Griswold thinks the kids would be safe on that count. Says his daughter's afraid of strangers, never goes near them. Mm -hmm. How much area did you cover in the hills last night? About a full mile, wouldn't you say, Ben? Mm-hmm. Starting from Sanchez Drive straight back into the brush. It wasn't too thorough. Not enough men, not enough light. Well, you got plenty of both right now. Ten minutes past 6 a.m., Tuesday, October 28th. The search of the Sunset Hills area was resumed. 150 officers spread out over a two-square-mile area with orders to probe every foot of ground. With them were almost 50 volunteers from the neighborhood. The rain settled to a cold, steady downpour. The mud was ankle deep. 8.30 a.m., no sign of the missing youngsters. 10.30, still no sign. The search went on. A neighborhood restaurant owner sent out five-gallon jugs of hot coffee for members of the searching party. After six continuous hours combing the hill, still no results. Chief Brown, Ben, and I went to the car for a cup of coffee and a cigarette. It's got me beat. Those kids wanted off the head to come in this direction. Well, they couldn't have headed toward town. Somebody would have noticed them, sure. Yeah. No leads at all on that APV you sent out? Two. They both fizzled. The youngsters up in those hills someplace. Gotta be. 
Are you two ready? Yeah, let's go. Sure doesn't figure. Two square miles. We've been over it twice. You can go over it again. Find them. Thelma Griswold, age 11. Barbara Sperry, age 7. Tuesday, October 28th, 2 p.m. They were still missing. Another detail of men from Metropolitan Division were dispatched to aid in the hunt. The daily newspapers played the story across the front page. Wire services bulletined the news across the country. Radio newscasters covered the story at the scene. On South Peoria Street, the two mothers sat in their homes and waited. The search went on. It stopped raining. Did you cover that patch of underbrush over there, Joe? Yeah. Watch it. Yeah. 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 It's hard. Oh, yeah. Let's swing up this way. All right. Anything? No, nothing. All right, come on. Almost 2.30. Yeah. Too much coffee. Sour stomach. Me too. You got a cigarette? I'm out. Oh, here. Thanks. Rustin, what do you got? What is it? They found him. They found the kid. Come on. Watch it, Ben. Bad spot here. Yeah, it's slippery. Thelma Griswold had brown hair and brown eyes. About four feet, six inches tall. She had a bunch of wildflowers in her hands. Barbara Sperry had blonde hair and blue eyes. She held a bunch of wildflowers, too. Friday? Chief? Who found them? Jemerson, some of the neighbors. Oh. Dear God. Preston? Yes, sir? Uh, get something, cover him up. Yes, sir. Come on. Yeah. I've been a cop 32 years and never seen anything like that. I hope I never do again. Must have been a maniac. Had to be. The law is kind, depraved. Anybody call the crime lab? Yeah, the area's been cleared. Family's been notified? Not yet. I'll have to tell them. Do you want to come along? No, that wouldn't be any good. Two lives, what can you say? Whoever did it ran up a big bill. They're going to pay it. listening to Dragnet, authentic stories of your police force in action. Now listen to these authentic reports about Fatima cigarettes. Sales reports show that Fatima has more than doubled its smokers from coast to coast. Smokers' reports give the actual reason for this astonishing gain. Hear what Mr. W.B. Williams of New York has to say about Fatima. I like it's even mildness, no irritation. There's something about the taste of Fatima that doesn't seem to be in any other cigarette. In the words of Miss Marie Blacker of Chicago... My friends are switching to Fatima, too. It's much the best of long cigarettes. Listen to this statement by Miss Cecilia Marr of Los Angeles. I like Fatima best. It's so mild and has a wonderful flavor. Yes, from all reports, Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. Enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. <laughs> Five minutes after the bodies were discovered, the hunt for the psychopathic killer was underway. Lee Jones and his crew from the crime lab arrived and took pictures of everything that could possibly have a bearing on the crime. Physical evidence was hard to find. The heavy rain had destroyed any possible chance there might have been of finding footprints. 
When the crew from the crime lab was finished, the coroner arrived and took the bodies to the county morgue for autopsy. An immediate roundup of all known sexual psychopaths in the area was ordered. They were taken into homicide for questioning. So were the people from the South Peoria Street neighborhood whom we had talked with previously. The questioning went on all through the night. Together with a half a dozen officers from homicide detail, we narrowed down the field. Wednesday, October 29th, 7 a.m., we checked in with Chief of Detectives Thad Brown. Gentlemen, you must be tired. Got a few hours sleep last night. Could use a few more. Sorry, we have to keep moving on this. Did you see the papers this morning? Yeah, they're like everybody else, crying too late. Someday people are going to learn you don't fool with these degenerates. You take precautions or you get the consequences. There's no in-between. There's usual talk going around town. It's supposed to be all our fault, letting the psychos run loose. No, we don't make the laws, we enforce them. Until we get something to work with, laws with teeth in them, these atrocities are going to go on. Nobody seems to care. We pick them up, they serve a few days, pay a fine, and they waltz out of here. Nobody cares. You sure, pity them, don't cure them. Nature played a trick on them. Feel sorry for them until they kill a kid. It's not a firm law to cover them as they are. We have to wait till they murder somebody. We got a better law for mad dogs. We don't let them run loose till they bite somebody. Those two little girls ought to prove something. How are the parents making out? What you might expect. Shocked, hysterics. Excuse me. Brown speaking. Who? Uh, send him in. Chandler, they finished questioning that bunch we brought in yesterday. Oh, Chief. Glenn, Joe. How many possibles, Glenn? None. Four we had left established airtight alibis. We checked the registrations, gave them their releases. Where does that leave us? We start from scratch. I don't think so, Chief. You got a hunch? A little better than that, Joe. I'm sold. What do you mean? You said the parents told you the little girls were afraid of strangers, wouldn't go near them. Yeah, try. They got the same reactions from some of the neighbors we talked to the day before yesterday. Yeah. Now we find out that all the known psychos in the area are clear, perfect alibis. When you figure the killer couldn't have been a stranger to the little girls. That's right. There were only two strangers in the whole neighborhood the day the girls disappeared, the gardener and the salesman, and both of them have been checked and cleared. Mm Mm-hmm. As far as we know, the little girls wouldn't have gone that far up in the hills alone of their own accord, and they wouldn't have gone with a stranger. They had to be lured there and by someone they knew. Any ideas? Could have been one of the neighbors. No, we checked every possible out there, Glenn. We questioned them a half a dozen times. So have I. There's one that might fit. Who's that? Claude Jimerson. Glenn Chandler had been a veteran homicide officer before Ben or I joined the department. He was tall, quiet, and reserved. He had a good reason for everything he did, for everything he thought. The three of us sat down and tried to put the pieces together. Number one, Chandler uncovered a point that Ben and I had missed completely. Jimerson and his wife were not close friends of either the Sperry family or the Griswolds. For a near stranger, he showed an extraordinary interest in the welfare of the children after they disappeared. Number two, Ben and I discovered that Jimerson's wife had an eight-year-old boy by a previous marriage. The child did not live with them. Mrs. Jimerson told Chandler that her husband had been cruel to the boy. She refused to elaborate. Number three, Jimerson was the last person to see the children alive. Number four, the bodies of the children had been well hidden in the underbrush. Jimerson found them. Number five, Jimerson had bent over backwards to make friends with the investigating officers right from the start. As any veteran officer can tell you, that's not the usual attitude. At 8.30 a.m., Chandler, Ben, and I left the office. We spent the day digging back 15 years into Jimerson's life. We got back to the office just after midnight. Thursday, October 30th, 10 a.m., we checked in. Okay, Joe, all ready. Thanks. Come on, Ben. Yeah. Morning, Mr. Jimerson. Oh, how are you, Sergeant? Glad to see you. Sit down. Sorry to bother you again. Not at all. Glad to help. Anything new turn up? 
Did you kill those two little girls? That's a funny thing to ask. Of course not. You know that. We ask everybody the same thing. Hope you're not offended. Oh, you kind of surprised me. I didn't know. Did you kill those little girls? I don't understand. I told you no. Of course not. It's a stock question. Routine. Did you kill them? Now, look, Sergeant, how many times do I have to tell you no? Sorry. You don't have any children, do you? No, we don't. No stepchildren? No. Why? Before you moved out to South Peoria Street, you and the wife lived out in West L.A., didn't you? Kelton Avenue? Oh, yes. How'd you know? You recall a Mary Gibbs out there? Gibbs? No. Six-year-old girl? You were charged with molesting her. That was back in 1944. They were crazy. They never proved it. Before Kelton Avenue, you lived in Santa Monica. On 10th Street. Is that right? Yes. It was an eight-year-old girl. Donna Honrath. That kid lied, too. She asked me to fix her doll buggy. I never went near her. What about your stepson? Why isn't he living with you? Why did your wife send him to live with her sister? Amy's crazy. I never harmed the boy. We didn't get along, that's all. He got on my nerves. You've had four jobs in the past five years. What were they? I don't know what you're talking about. You were a janitor at a grammar school down the south end of town, then a gardener at a children's playground. Then you were a shoe salesman, children's shoes. Then you worked at another grammar school. What does all this mean, anyway? What are you getting at? Have you ever been in jail? Once. Six months, there was some trouble. What kind of trouble? I didn't know what I was doing. I was drinking. I didn't mean to bother the kid. Well? That's all, Jimerson. Routine questioning. You can go now. Oh, thanks. I hope you haven't got the wrong idea about me. I like children, that's all. Sure. Thanks for coming in. Well, not at all, Sergeant. Anything I can do to help? Well, goodbye. Say, Jimerson, I almost forgot. There is one thing. Oh? Since you're the one who found the little girls, we'll have to have you identify the bodies. It won't take long. The morgue's just across the street, up the bluff. Well, I'd like to help you, but I got an appointment. All you have to do is look at them. Won't take you long. Come on, let's go. I'd like to help, Sergeant, but... I don't take these things while I get sick. We'll make it fast. Out this way. Raining again. I'm sorry, Sergeant. I don't think I'd better go. Just identify him. That's all. Won't take a minute. Maybe if we had a drink before we went in. You can have one after. Watch it. There's heavy traffic. Yeah, lights change. We'll have to wait. I need a drink. I can't go in that place without a drink. You'll be all right. Okay, let's go. Morgue's up this way. I can't look at him. I get sick. Don't make me. Nothing to it. You'll see. Here we are. We're down the driveway. It's a shortcut. This way. Hi, Joe. Can I help you? Yeah, Archie. Those little girls... Thelma Griswold, Barbara Sperry. Oh, yeah. This way. Please. Right here, Joe. Yeah, Thelma Griswold. Uncover. Jimerson? Jumped at me. 
She started to yell. Put my hand over her mouth. Then the other kid. I hit them. Too hard. They cried. Joe? That's all. All right. Huh? Let's go. It wasn't my fault. I like kids. I didn't understand. Neither do I, mister. Come on. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On March 18th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 87, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. It's amazing how many long cigarette smokers are changing to Fatima. Here's the actual report. From coast to coast, Fatima has more than doubled its smokers. Yes, more and more smokers every day are discovering that Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. Smokers find Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. They find that Fatima is extra mild because it's the long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild. Enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. Best of all long cigarettes. Claude Willis Jimerson was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. On April 23rd at 10 a.m., he was executed in the lethal gas chamber at the state penitentiary. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.A. Wharton. You're tuned for the stars on NBC. From February 2nd, 1950, that was Dragnet and the episode titled Claude Jimerson, Child Killer. And that puts a wrap on my presentation for this time around. I hope you enjoyed listening to these shows as much as I enjoyed presenting them to you. And with that, this is Brad Snyder saying so long until the next time we meet on Radio Out of the Past in the Fred Bertelson Old Time Radio Room. Took a microphone in front of their radio. They're, they're all that way. All that yeah, well, I think, you know it, what? I think that made shame, it kind of hard you know to what? follow. Thanks for presenting it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they ain't your fault. That's just, you know, sometimes you get what That's you a, get. And, it uh, is what it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, guys. This is me. Um, I have to go. But I also have a meeting at 7, so I probably won't be back. So right. you guys have a good evening. And thank you all for right, that. Nikki. We'll it made me cry. Nikki. Yeah, Nikki, It made take me care. cry, but. Yeah, you guys too, and be safe and stay well. Thank, Thank you, you very you much. Too. Good Bye. night. Nikki has left the meeting. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I saw the announcement that this was going to be on, and you mentioned it too earlier, Brad, that you were going I to did. be on the show yeah. tonight. And and you usually pick things that I like, <laughs> so that's well, fun. Same here. Well, good. Thank you. I try. That's all in the description. Brad, thank you for meeting. Thanks for meeting you. What was I going to say? Fancy meeting you here, Fred. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Really? Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat>
Joni yeah. was there last night when I was uh, doing my deal on Yesterday USA. So he did great. So well. that was that was strictly on the internet last night, right? Rather than your, uh, uh, I believe yes. You had to go to you. Uh, yeah, they weren't back on TuneIn yet. You had to go oh. to the Yesterday USA website. Yeah, I just called in. And I don't okay. know if it was on red or blue or both. It was definitely on red from. Well, but I'm like you said, Marsha, it started late, like 1030 your time. 1030 my time. And I was like, whoa, no, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, it gets going late, but that was kind of fun. I think a lot of of, Joni, you're right? lucky now. You're well. You're, you know, you're two hours behind now, so it would have been eight thirty your time. So in a month, yes. month, about five weeks, she'll be three hours behind. Yeah, yep. I that, know. But that's fine, you know. Well, not really. It's going to be difficult because. But to Joni, um, it's the same. The clock doesn't change where she is. Everything well, else changes. I guess it depends on, you know, your dinner schedule and all that kind of thing. So I don't know. Well, see, the thing is that I go into things now at six o'clock and in a few weeks, I'll be going into things on at Pacific five. time, five which will be difficult yeah. because of when they decide to serve meals here. So they don't just they don't serve meals at the same time every day or Yeah, but it'll be different next Yeah, well. You know, within the week. So um Daylight Savings Time comes back March twelfth. Which yeah, is too early. That's yes, what I say. I if it I never understood they, why they changed it from the first Sunday in April to the no. Second Sunday I'll tell in you March. The, I'll tell I you just, the explanation that my mom, that she said when, that, when they did that, she said, simply this, somebody got to thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, yeah. it happened in the second Bush. Second, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was in yeah. the early 2000s. Yeah, so and I never understood what was the purpose. I mean... I just feel, at least here in um, Texas, which we are in, well, it would be, the central time zone's weird. It is the most, its boundaries are the most manipulated, I think, of any of the uh, time zones. I think you're right, the, Brad. The boundary between the central and mountain time zone should be at the 97-degree 30-minute meridian, which is just a little west of Fort Worth, and that would split the states of not only Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, and I believe the Dakotas, both north and south. So they have manipulated the boundary so that like all of all of Kansas, all of Nebraska, all of the Dakotas, all of uh, Oklahoma, all of Texas, with the exception of El Paso County. So it's like, you know, it, it's it's really manipulated. So is El Paso where we County are here should be. 
Hmm? Is El Paso County in Mountain Time? Yes, it is, because it's economic. I didn't, know, tied I didn't to even Mexico. know that. I didn't yep. either. And Only here El Paso I am a County. Texas girl. I didn't even know yep. that. So it's like here, we're in the western part, so the sun comes up late. And when they change that time to uh, um, the second Sunday in March, it's like the sun doesn't come up till close to 8 o'clock in the morning. This is my problem that I have with, you know, they're talking about leaving if they were to do it where daylight saving time ran all year long. That's the problem that I have because I don't like, like it. This time of year, it's not going to work. You're going to have people getting up in the dark. I mean, well, people yeah, get up yeah. in the dark anyway sometimes, but I, you know, when you have the I, sun I, not coming up until 7 30 o'clock, that's, that's ridiculous. If you're going to leave it on one or the other, I'd say standard time because standard <clears throat> time means that at the central meridian in your time zone is when the, uh, lo- what they call local noon. Um, and in the central right. time zone, that would be the 90 degree meridian. So wherever 90 degrees is, the sun is supposedly straight overhead at noon. Yep, you're right. But and I so I, I to like to do that, if you did daylight savings time, that means you'd be having 12 o'clock noon on the clock when it's 11 o'clock. You know, it'd be one one o'clock on the clock would be local noon. <laughs> It's just, it, you know, it's. So. Yeah, well, I remember when I had light perception back when I was a, when I was a lot younger, I could walk outside and look up at noon. It's like, there's the sun. And it was on, you know, regular mm-hmm. standard time. Well, I just, I, I've, I feel at least here where we are, it works fine. Standard time. In the winter months, daylight savings time in the summer months. So I, I don't, and my wife says it messes her up, but I just find it I'm ridiculous too. that, that I mean, maybe the first week, 10 days, the first year, I really don't notice it. I don't know. It really doesn't, it doesn't make much difference to me. I, I don't. I don't notice. Yeah. I never have been bothered. I still by have it. enough vision to see if it's daylight or dark. Um, I will say in the Not me. in the winter in the in November, <laughs> when we go from daylight savings time to standard, it's a little shocking that instead of the sun going down um, about five about six thirty, suddenly it's five thirty. Yep. Yep. But mm-hmm. you know, and then on the other end. Now that I'm not getting up and leaving the house and going to work, it doesn't bother me as much Did it what time the sun comes up. But when I used to have to leave the house and walk to the bus stop, all of a sudden it's March. I've been, you know, I used to do it when it was like very dim outside to catch a 730 bus. And I have to leave the house about 715, you know, to walk to the bus stop. And March comes along and all of a sudden, I'm doing it in the dark, dark. Yep. And my kid has had to walk to school because they had to be at school at eight. And he's having to walk to school in two blocks dark. in 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 the dark. It's I just said this is ridiculous. Why they should have learned that this? lesson. They should have learned that lesson back in 74 when they tried to change in January of 74. They decided as an if there was an energy crisis or something. Right. Yeah. And they did that. They had the time to go up in January, and that's that was the, no. but they don't learn. 
it didn't really do any good either. No. It's like once upon a time back in World War One. I, I don't know when the United States started it. I think it was there in World War One. Yeah, well, I yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. And yeah. um <laughs> they started it. And yes, it, it probably did save some energy. The farmers hated it, but that's ridiculous because you have the same amount of daylight, and they said it messed up the cows. The cows don't know what time it is. That's right. You know, it, that's the stupidest thing. It just messed up the time when they had to get up and milk them. Farmers did. Well, it yeah, and they just, yeah. Well, it didn't mess anything up. The cows was the same, and yeah, it's just but they had to get flock. up out. You know, they had to get a, they had to get out of bed an hour earlier mm-hmm. or an hour later to, to milk them. So it messed them up, not the cows. Yeah. So, you know, it was just dumb, but I don't know. I don't, you know, and I don't think it makes any difference now. And that's what they argue, but it's everybody gets all bent out of shape about it. The politicians talk about it. All these states that say the states could change it. I got news for the states can't change it because it's up to federal law. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, uh, I think Indiana a few years back. They did. They used to be split. Yeah, yep. they did. Right. And they're not. Oh, and that, that was really bizarre. Split a well, state. In f- well, in fact, uh, there's part of the uh, the upper peninsula here of Michigan that is on central time over toward the green Bay side, right? Of the because state. they okay. are they are geographically connected to Wisconsin, right? But and that's so, not yeah. really their that's not really their doing. No, and like and like half of both Tennessee and Kentucky yeah. are, you know, but um, toward the Illinois the thing, side and hmm? toward the Illinois side. You know, yeah, like, western western West, Kentucky, Kentucky. Yep. and western like, Tennessee. Right. Um, like Arizona, and, who never, they just are on standard well, here. They, yeah. I'm year they round. don't change. Well, well, back when Daylight Savings Time got started, they, they managed to stay on the same time all the time because they don't want it to the sun. The, they don't want, they want the sun to go down as early as possible yeah. in the winter. And I don't blame it, them. I mean, the mm-hmm. summer because it is very hot. Yep. And Hawaii mm-hmm. is so far south that their times don't change that much. The closer you get to the equator, the less your fluctuation of sunrise and sunset times. Yep. That's a phenomenon of the farther away you get from the equator. So, yeah. And what's this have to do with old time radio? Well, you know, just some. Yeah, what did it? I don't know. Are we being? Hey, are we being? We're talking about their program being so light for somebody. That's how it got started. Yeah, like funny. I'm not. I'm. 